Welcome once again to the Raw Attitude Podcast, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. Also, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play as well. And of course, if you write a five-star review for us, I will be sure to read it on this very show and give you full credit for doing so. One quick note up front. Back here in the present day, I will be attending WWE's Clash of Champions pay-per-view in mid-December, or as it should be called, Clash of Half the Champions, since it's a SmackDown-only pay-per-view. Truthfully, I'm mainly going for two simple reasons. Number one, it's in the city where I live, and number two, it's on my actual birthday. That combination of circumstances probably only happens once in a lifetime, if ever, so at this point, I pretty much feel obligated to attend, even though I don't really keep up with the current product. So keep an eye out for myself and Adam, the host of the Rundown Wrestling Podcast Nitromania series, because we'll be there cheering on the WWE's current crop of mostly uninspiring, bland performers. Hooray! And speaking of the Rundown Wrestling Podcast, as a quick reminder, I will soon be appearing on that podcast series called WrestleMania Salvation, where the host, Sal, and I will talk about WrestleMania 7. So if you haven't subscribed to that show yet, I would recommend that you do. As always, the link to it will be in the episode description for this podcast, so definitely be sure to check that out. And one final note before we begin. Friend of the show, William Rankin, who hosts the New Blood Rising podcast, recently released his novel, The Rumors of My Demise, and it is now available for purchase. I'll certainly be grabbing my copy, and I would encourage you to do the same, because he's a great guy. And I'll also be sure to put the link to his book in the episode description, so you can just head on over there and purchase it in whichever format you prefer. Alright, so, with that being said, let's get into Monday Night Raw. It is Monday, November 2nd, 1998, and we are live from the Compact Center in Houston, Texas. Some of the other noteworthy events which have taken place here include the 1989 Royal Rumble, SummerSlam 2001, Bad Blood 2003, and No Way Out of Texas 1998, where Savio Vega main evented in place of Shawn Michaels. We open with a recap of last week's episode of Raw, where Shane McMahon went behind his father's back and rehired Stone Cold Steve Austin. We also get some clips from last night's episode of Sunday Night Heat, where Shane cut a promo announcing his vision for the WWF, where he said, and I quote, No swerving, no lying, no screwing, so apparently his first order of business must have been to fire Vince Russo. Michael Cole's voiceover then asks us, After four decades of building a sports entertainment conglomerate, will the McMahon empire crumble in front of the world tonight on Raw? We then go directly into the start of the show, but before we do that, I always have to single out some of the best signs in the crowd, so here are a few of them. McMahon316 says, I just screwed my dad. WCW licks my balls. Val Venus stuffs his trunks with Socko. Vince, go ahead and retire, bitch. 
Socko would kick Mr. Hat's ass. Val Venus is a virgin. I don't shower much. Deborah Sable Threesome? And I love my wife. Are you happy now, Lisa? And yes, I'm sure Lisa is just thrilled with your passive-aggressive cardboard sign. So we officially begin with Shane McMahon walking to the ring, and I will note that even very early on in his WWF career, he was doing that goofy gesture where he would take his right fist and pound it into his own heart. I guess some things never change. Interestingly, when Shane is coming down the aisle, the camera pans up, and we can see that the classic blue bar steel cage is hanging over the ring, so I assume we'll find out all about that at some point. Also, Jim Ross informs us that Vince McMahon is not here tonight, perhaps because he's still so traumatized by Shane usurping him last week. So Shane begins by reminding us that he put a clause in Stone Cold's contract, which stipulated that he had to receive a shot at the WWF title, and Austin will receive that title shot two weeks from tonight on the November 16th episode of Raw, the night after Survivor Series. In case you need a reminder, the vacant WWF title will be awarded to the winner of a 16-man tournament at Survivor Series, so Austin will face the winner one night later. Shane then brings out Stone Cold, who receives what might have been an even louder pop than usual since we are in his home state tonight. However, as Austin is making his entrance, we actually cut away to a limousine arriving backstage, and, sure enough, Vince McMahon is inside of it. And of course, Pat Patterson, Gerald Briscoe, Commissioner Slaughter, and the Big Boss Man are all there to greet him and help him into his wheelchair. Back in the arena, Stone Cold is doing his usual posing for the crowd, but then, before he can take the mic and tell us what's on his mind, Vince McMahon, the Stooges, and the Big Boss Man arrive at the top of the ramp, and goddamn, they move pretty quickly. Vince has a microphone, and I'm going to play his promo for you here. It's actually a little bit long, about seven minutes, but I think it's worth playing because Vince sets a lot of things in motion, so let's take a listen. Well, I'm sure we would all like to hear from Stone Cold Steve Austin, but better than that, stop it. Let's hear from me, Vince McMahon. look of surprise on your face a little disappointment you didn't think i would make it tonight i knew he'd be here and all this speculation about vince mcmahon and whether or not i'm going to retire that's not speculation some would say it's poppycock some would say it's BS if you get my drift. Yes. What I say is it's wishful thinking. I'll tell you. Some of you. people calling you an ass. Wow. Austin, you'd like it if I retired, wouldn't you? You'd really like that. You'd like it if I retired, Austin. And and Shane, Shane, you'd really like it if I stepped down so you could take over, right? 
executive Vince McMahon sort of faded away, sort of disappeared. I think it's unanimous. Some of you would even like it if I died. Oh my gosh. Well, let me say this. That's the only way that I'm ever going to step down as chairman of this organization is the day I die. Well, so much for passing the torch. I told you. And when I die, I don't want a damned one of you to come to my funeral. No family, no friends, no WWF superstars. When I die, I want to go straight to hell. Please. Good Lord. Which is exactly where I've been as of late, figuratively speaking. I've been in a living hell for the last couple of weeks, thanks to my own flesh and blood, my own son, Shane McMahon. Thanks to you, Stone Cold. Having a consultation now. All right. Shane McMahon. Let me tell you this. As of this moment, I am relieving you of your corporate responsibilities. Whoa! You are no longer an officer of this company. And if, Shane McMahon, you wish to be gainfully employed by this organization, then you'll take the only opening available for you. And you know what that is? You'll be a lowly referee. And if you don't do a very good job at that, I'll bust you all the way down to where you began. You'll be on the ring crew. Whoa! You know something, Shane? I couldn't believe it. You scarred me. You hurt me emotionally last week. And you know how you did it? You hurt me the most when you said, you know what, Dad? I guess... I'm a light like, a lot like you after all. I've been thinking about that. And you know what? Shane McMahon, you're not a lot like me at all. You know? But I'll tell you this. You are a lot like your mother. I can't do a damn thing about your new contract. I wish I could. But I can tell you this. It won't be the day after a Survivor Series that you get your title shot. No, no, no. It'll be at the Survivor Series. What? Which simply means if my math is correct, that should you make it all the way to the final championship match, you would have wrestled some four times on that given occasion.
Good luck, Mr. Austin, in the Survivor Series. You're going to need it. And by the way, may I tell you whom you will be facing in the opening round of the Survivor Series? The Big Boss Man. Wow. And the sold-out Keel Center in 13 days, Austin and the Boss Man. What a deadly game that's going to be. I have only got one other thing to say, and that's to this audience. I heard that chant. And I've been hearing it a lot. Just for the record, I'm not the one who's an asshole. It's all of you. Oh, good Lord. I thank you very much. So there you have it. Shane McMahon has been demoted to a referee, and Vince has taken away Stone Cold's title shot on Raw in favor of forcing him to compete in the tournament at the Survivor Series. I guess now we know who's really in charge. By the way, if you're watching this episode on the WWE Network, we then get a commercial for StoneCold.com, which I figured they would have edited out. However, I typed StoneCold.com into my browser, and apparently they still own that domain because it took me right to WWE.com. Well played, Network. When we come back from commercial, we're shown footage from during the break where Vince McMahon, the Big Boss Man, and the Stooges headed over to the commentary table. Vince then proceeded to remind Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler as to who signs their checks, and he then tells them to look up at the steel cage hanging over the ring because, quote, somebody tonight will be paying hard time. Clearly, that means we're getting the return of Nails. We then go back live to the arena where it's time for our first match of the evening, and it's a six-man tag team match. WWF European Champion X-Pac and WWF Tag Team Champions The New Age Outlaws versus Gangrel, Edge, and WWF Light Heavyweight Champion Christian, who we are now told are calling themselves The Brood. If you're like me, you'll be happy to know that Gangrel has gone back to using his awesome entrance where he emerges through a ring of fire from under the stage, but Edge and Christian simply come out from backstage instead. Pusses. For those scoring at home, the Brood actually competed for the first time together last night on Sunday Night Heat, where they defeated the Oddities, so no, this is not technically their debut match. As for the Outlaws, each of them is sporting a new look this week. Road Dog has braids in his hair that are reminiscent of the ones the British Bulldog used to have, and Billy Gunn has what I assume are painted-on lipstick marks on his neck and stomach. I'll let you be the judge as to which one of those looks is more unsettling. So this was actually a very nice match for the time it was given, roughly four and a half minutes. Edge and Christian worked over DX with several double teams, but strangely, Gangrel was never actually tagged into the match. I would speculate that he's working through an injury, but then again, he's immortal, so that clearly wouldn't be much of a problem for him. The finish of the match came when Billy Gunn got fed up with Edge and Christian double-teaming Road Dog, so he ran into the ring and started going after Christian. And by the way, if you go back and watch this match, listen to Billy when he comes into the ring and starts attacking Christian, because when he does it, you can literally hear him yelling, wham, 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 as he connects with his punches. More double-teaming by Edge, and, and Christian, here comes, here comes a Billy Gunn. Mr. Ass providing his own soundtrack. 
So this then causes the match to devolve into a schmoz as all six men run into the ring and start brawling with each other, but then the lights go out and Kane's music hits. The Big Red Machine then proceeds to walk to the ring and clean house, delivering choke slams to Edge, Christian, and X-Pac. As you know, Kane has been abandoned by his brother The Undertaker and his father Paul Bearer, so it appears as though that lack of guidance has caused him to lash out at anything that moves. Kane then lights the turnpost and starts walking up the ramp, and that, I assume, means that the match has been ruled a no contest. It just wouldn't be an episode of Raw unless we got a match where there was no winner whatsoever. Fun match while it lasted, though. After a commercial break, Jim Ross then cues up some footage of what happened while we were away, and this time, Vince McMahon and the Big Boss Men are backstage when they're approached by Michael Cole. Vince reminds Cole that last week, he had asked the chairman how he felt after Shane McMahon had rehired Stone Cold, so Vince then has the Big Boss Man choke Michael Cole. Mr. McMahon then informs Cole that this is exactly how he felt last week, and normally, I don't give much thought to these backstage moments, but any segment that features Michael Cole being humiliated automatically gets five stars from me. We then go back to the arena for our next match, Hawk versus Darren Drozdov, who is announced as Legion of Doom member Draws. Last night on Sunday Night Heat, Animal and Draws went up against the Hardy Boys, and the Hardys were able to get the win when Draws and Hawk started fighting with each other outside the ring, forcing Animal to fend for himself. As a result, Hawk challenged Draws to a match tonight on Raw. And speaking of Hawk, well, fuck me, they've actually done it. After roughly nine weeks of restraint, they've gone back to the drunk Hawk angle, as we can see that he is clearly intoxicated as he's walking down the ramp. Or, as Jim Ross so delicately puts it, He's walking drunk, it looks like. It looks like Hawk is not only falling off the wagon, but the wagon has run him over. So, referee Jimmy Corderas sees Hawk's condition and refuses to start the match, but Draws ends up jumping Hawk anyway. The bell never rings, so this does not become an official match, but Draws basically just ends up beating the crap out of Hawk for about a minute. Animal walks down to ringside shortly thereafter, but he just proceeds to watch the beatdown for a little while. Animal then eventually does get in the ring, and he pulls Draws off of Hawk. We can then hear Animal yell various things at Hawk, including, You're throwing 14 years down the tubes! Draws and Animal then walk backstage together as the crowd boos them. I suppose that's a fitting summary of this angle. Draws and Animal receive boos, whereas Hawk consumes boos. Ah, uh, uh, plays on words are fun. We then go backstage again, where Vince McMahon continues his reign of terror against everyone in sight. This time, Jim Cornette accidentally opens a door, and it hits Vince's injured ankle, so the big boss man pushes Cornette up against the wall. And from there, Vince proceeds to berate Cornette, which I'll play for you right here, because it made me chuckle. Who the hell do you think you are? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't see you. Well, sorry, Mom. Cut it. You stop wearing that ridiculous wardrobe you normally wear, those outlandish jackets. You get with the program in terms of your commentary. All right? All right. Or okay. if you don't, and if you keep the 1980s wrestling crap, sorry. then you're going to get the hell out. Do you I understand did. me? I've, I've... Now, now, move. Get. Get. Stupid Let's go. Now, why do I get the sense that Vince telling Cornette, if you keep the 1980s wrestling crap, then you're going to get the hell out, was probably something that actually did happen at some point. Call me crazy. 
After a commercial break, we then go backstage again, where Michael Cole was with the team of Mankind and Al Snow. Last week, these two challenged the New Age Outlaws for the WWF Tag Team titles and lost, mainly due to the fact that Mick and Al were arguing as to whether Mr. Sacco or Head would finish the match. And I'm going to play their backstage promo for you here, because Mick mentions something that I'm going to touch on in just a moment. Mankind Al Snow, last week you guys teamed together, you didn't get along too well. Why are you doing it again this week? Hold it, Todd. We get along just fine. It just happens the bowl of Fruit Loops over here doesn't understand. He's just got an undergarment on his hand, and it's not real. We had that match won, didn't we? Well, just last night, Al, some of pro wrestling's greatest secrets were revealed to me. So I think everything's going to just stop the foot. No! This works, Kurgan! Well, the memories of a big goof and tie-dye dancing makes me kind of sick. So we're going to end it early, and if they don't like it, well, we've got one word for them. Socko! Socko! So what exactly was Mick Foley referring to when he said, quote, Some of pro wrestling's greatest secrets were revealed to me. Oh, allow me to explain. You see, with the massive popularity of both the WWF and WCW at this time, the NBC network decided to try and capitalize on that interest by creating a primetime special called Exposed Pro Wrestling's Greatest Secrets, which aired the night before this episode of Raw. Unfortunately, the general tone of the show was basically, the wrestlers are fooling you, they're not really trying to hurt each other. And again, I remind you, this aired in 1998, when I dare say almost all wrestling fans were already in on the act. Among the groundbreaking secrets revealed on this show, wrestlers call spots to each other. They act like they're in more pain than they actually are. And, well, perhaps the most famous moment from this show was when it delved into a certain type of fan who is, as we know, always present at pro wrestling shows. There's another character planted in the audience that you'd never expect to be on the payroll. And when she plays her big scene, she creates more heat than you could ever imagine. Can you pick out the plant? It couldn't be this sweet old lady. How's that for pile-driving Miss Daisy? My best way to generate heat from the audience is just my arrogance walking down to the ring. I think there's a little part of acting to it. Now here's the secret. She's a stunt granny. Oh, so that explains why I see 80-year-old women getting physically involved at every single show. Now I get it. Thanks, NBC. Truthfully, I was really hoping the WWF would actually have one of the wrestlers attack a stunt granny on Raw tonight just for the hell of it, but spoiler, that does not end up happening. Clearly a missed opportunity there. So yes, that special actually aired on NBC at a time when they were unquestionably the number one television network in the world. And for the record, you can watch the whole thing on YouTube right now if you are so inclined, and I would actually recommend that you do, because it will constantly make you wonder how it ever got greenlit in an era when everyone already knew that wrestling was not real. Oh, and hey, NBC, spoiler alert for your same network at the time, Ross and Rachel aren't dating either. It's almost as if television viewers willingly suspend their disbelief or something. Huh. Huh. Strange. So anyway, let's get back into this fake carny bullshit and go on to our next match, Mankind and Al Snow versus Oddity's members, Kurgan and Golga. So Mick and Al controlled this match for the most part, and as you would expect, eventually Mankind reached into his tights to pull out Mr. Sacco, but he couldn't find it. 
From there, Mick took off his shoe, but the sock was not on his foot either. He then told Al that Sokka was probably somewhere backstage, so he ran off to the locker room, leaving Al to fend for himself against the oddities. Keep in mind, Al and Mick literally did a backstage promo right before they came out to the ring, and Mick was clearly holding Sako at the time, so I'd love to know how he managed to misplace him in the span of about a minute at most. So with Al all alone back in the ring, Kurgan managed to hit him with a chokeslam, followed by Golga bouncing off the ropes and doing the earthquake splash, and that was enough to secure the three count and give the victory to the oddities. On this night, it appears that the disappearance of Mr. Sacco may indeed be pro wrestling's greatest secret. We then cut backstage again, where Vince McMahon is continuing to boss people around, and on this occasion, he amusingly comes across a random celebrity who ends up earning the boss's wrath. Hey. You got a backstage pass? Shaquille O'Neal, I don't need a backstage pass. Shaquille O'Neal! You don't have a backstage pass? Get out of here. What? Shaq? He tried to throw Shaquille O'Neal out of the building! For the record, when Vince tells Shaquille O'Neal to get the hell out, Shaq actually just ends up sitting right back down, so apparently he wasn't intimidated by the chairman. And by the way, at the time of this episode, the NBA was going through a lockout, and the season would not end up officially beginning until February, so that would be the reason why Shaq was able to hang out backstage at a Raw in November. After a commercial break, we go backstage yet again, where Mankind is tearing apart the locker room, trying to find Mr. Sacco, but alas, he is unsuccessful. Personally, I think Shaq might have taken him, but I wouldn't want to accuse him to his face. And then we head back to the arena for our next match, Steven Regal versus a mystery opponent. As you know, Regal has now been given the gimmick of a real man's man, and we can tell he's incredibly manly because he walks to the ring wearing a flannel shirt, jean shorts, and a yellow construction hat. He kind of looks like Bob the Builder, and fun fact, the very first episode of Bob the Builder actually debuts on the BBC just four short weeks after this episode of Raw, so I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. This gimmick was the inspiration for that show. There, now we've settled that. And of course, probably the most memorable aspect of this phase of Regal's career would be his amazing theme song. And yes, I'm going to play it for you, but we'll get to that in just a bit. So Regal grabs a microphone and issues an open challenge, and I'm going to play his promo for you here because, well, let's just say that he unfortunately kind of sounds like he's been hanging out with Road Warrior Hawk. Tournament coming up in a few moments. Let's go with WWF to see if there's any real men's men just like myself. And I don't think there's one back in the dressing room that is. And if there is, please, I'm begging you, please come down here and fight me like a man. Yikes. Clearly, this was not a good period in Regal's life. So who's the manly man who ends up accepting Regal's open challenge? Well, it turns out to be none other than... Goldust, much to Regal's displeasure. And speaking of Goldust, his wife Terry Runnels certainly had an eventful evening last night on Sunday Night Heat. When Val Venus was facing Jeff Jarrett, Terry was bickering with Deborah McMichael outside the ring, which distracted Val. That allowed Jarrett to hit Val with a reverse Russian leg sweep and score the pinfall, and after the match... 
Terry apologized to Val and attempted to cheer him up with a big announcement. I'm so sorry. I made a mistake. I'm sorry, okay? Listen, listen. You made mistakes. I made mistakes. We've all made mistakes. Let's not concentrate on the negative. Let's, let's think about the positive. What about the joy? The joy we've created together, okay? In what? fact, I want to tell everybody here tonight... I want to tell you all. Well, tell I'm so excited. Us. We're pregnant. What? We're what? having a baby. What? Yes. And we are so happy, aren't we, honey? What? We are so to, to Terry and, and, and Val. Are... Child support, paternity suit, legal. We. We're pregnant. What is this we stuff? Let me make one thing very clear right here, right now. We are not pregnant. You are pregnant. Oh, come on. It's not our problem. It's your problem. Well, as a matter of fact, I'm out of here. Give me a break. Who boy. So many positive role models in the WWF these days, huh? So that's what's going on with Goldust's wife, but let's transition back to the Golden One himself and his match tonight with Steven Regal. So as this match progresses, it seems to be even further apparent that Regal is not exactly in the best condition to perform, as he looked like he was moving in slow motion when Goldust went to give him a basic hip toss, and then, shortly after that, Regal attempted a kip-up where he almost fell back down to the mat and had to prop himself back up with his right hand. Yeesh. Regal then threw Goldust over the top rope, and when he did, the aforementioned Terry Runnels emerged from backstage. Except tonight, she was wearing a golden gown and holding a cigar, so the commentators played it up as though she was trying to revert back to her former persona of Marlena in order to get back into Goldust's good graces. Eventually, Goldust went back on the offensive, put Regal into the corner, and set him up for the shattered dreams, but before he could deliver it, the lights went out again, and Kane came to the ring for the second time. He then proceeded to give choke slams to both Goldust and Regal, so once again, shockingly, I believe we have us a no contest. With Goldust down on the mat, Terry slash Marlena came into the ring to tend to her estranged husband, but that got the Big Red Machine's attention. Over the past few weeks, they had been teasing a face turn for Kane, but once Terry got in the ring, he grabbed her by the throat and picked her up for a choke slam. I repeat, he attempted to chokeslam a pregnant woman. Fortunately, WWF officials convinced Kane to put her down, but that meant that someone else had to pay the price. And this time, it was wrestler-turned-road agent Tony Gurria who took a chokeslam from Kane and then periodically flopped around on the mat like a fish out of water. Clearly, he was trained at the Vince McMahon School of Selling. Kane then lit the turnpost and headed backstage once again, but he is clearly out of control tonight. But now, let's get back to Steven Regal. This man's man gimmick is incredibly silly, but if anyone can make it work, clearly Regal can, right? Right? Well, unfortunately, this is the only match ever for Regal on Raw under his real man's man gimmick. Yes, you heard me correctly. That was the man's man's one and only match on Monday Night Raw. With that being said, Regal does end up wrestling at Survivor Series, and then one more match on Shotgun Saturday Night in mid-November, but, and this probably won't surprise you, 
he ends up being checked into rehab just two months after this episode of Raw. And then, in April of 1999, the WWF makes the determination that Regal is still not getting his act together, so they release him from his contract. Really a sad state of affairs for Regal at this point in his career. However, there is a happy ending here because, spoiler alert, Regal eventually does return to the WWF in the Attitude Era, so we haven't seen the last of him here on the Raw Attitude podcast. But we have seen the last of the real man's man gimmick, so on that note, I think it is only fair that this manly man must be inducted into wrestler heaven. See, I told you I'd managed to get that amazing theme song in there. But so long, Regal. We'll see you again soon. So after Kane leaves the ringside area, Jim Ross takes us through the WWF title tournament bracket at Survivor Series. For those scoring at home, here are the matchups. For some reason, both Kane and The Undertaker have buys in the first round, which means before the tournament even begins, they're already both in the second round. So sure, why not? I'll take that as an admission that they couldn't find enough realistic contenders to fill a 16-man tournament. After that, we have The Rock versus Triple H, so I guess Hunter is cleared to resume wrestling then? Goldust versus Ken Shamrock, Mankind versus a mystery opponent, Jeff Jarrett versus Al Snow, X-Pac versus the aforementioned Steven Regal, and, as we heard at the top of the show, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus the Big Boss Man. I don't know about you but my money's on Al Snow. We then go backstage where Vince McMahon and the Big Boss Man are with Mankind. Initially, we have some technical difficulties because there's no audio at the start of the segment, and the boom mic is prominently hanging down into the picture, so we're clearly running with the B-level production team tonight. Vince has some sort of object on his lap which is covered by a black towel, and he says he will give this present to Mankind if he listens to his orders, so let's pick it up from there. You got it. Well, you don't even know what I'm going to give you, much less what I'm asking. It doesn't matter. You've got it. All right. But I'm asking you not to interfere in this next matchup with Ken Shamrock and The Rock. You promise. I will not be a thorn in your side. You give me the present, and I'll do anything. You don't even know what this is. You trust me. I trust you. I have it for you. This is the WWF Hardcore Championship Belt. And Mick. 
You've earned it. <laughs> I love it. You've earned it. I gotta be honest with you, I love it. Just one thing. In some respects, I think I lost a son tonight, but maybe maybe I gained another one. Really? Gee, thanks, Dad. Now, if you're not familiar with the Hardcore Championship, it's essentially a smashed-up copy of the classic Winged Eagle WWF title belt with the words WWF Hardcore Championship written in Sharpie on masking tape, which has been haphazardly stuck to the belt. What makes the belt hardcore is the fact that any match which is contested for the title will automatically have no disqualifications and no countouts. And clearly, Mankind is a worthy inaugural champion because there is no one who would question the hardcore pedigree of Mick Foley. For those of you out there who do not know about this title, I can tell you it ends up being very divisive among wrestling fans over the years, so I look forward to hearing your thoughts on it as we progress throughout the coming weeks and months. And so, as we heard Mr. McMahon say when he presented the title to Mankind, our next match is indeed WWF Intercontinental Champion Ken Shamrock versus The Rock, And yes, the Intercontinental title actually is on the line for this match. It's actually pretty amusing how the roles of these guys have been reversed since the start of the year. At the beginning of 1998, The Rock held the IC title as a heel, and he successfully defended the belt against Shamrock at the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania 14. But now, Rock is a face, and Shamrock is holding the IC title as a heel. Kind of funny how these things turn out. Before the match begins, we see footage from during the commercial break where Shamrock was meeting with Vince McMahon and the Big Boss Man, and Vince angrily told the cameraman to get away from them. And speaking of Mr. McMahon, right as the match is about to start, Vince wheels himself to the top of the ramp along with the Big Boss Man and the Stooges. He has a microphone, and I know that I've been playing a lot of Vince clips here tonight, but this one is also pretty important because he lays down some dire consequences for the people's champion. Hey, Rock. There's the boss. Hey, Rock. Since I have a problem with the people, I have a problem with the people's champion. (laughs) So therefore... I'm going to add a little stipulation to this matchup. And that is that if you don't defeat Ken Shamrock for the Intercontinental title right here tonight, then you're not going to the Survivor Series, much less be the number one contender. Good luck, Rock. Let's ring the bell. And by the way, as soon as Vince makes that announcement, we get an instant bullshit chant from the crowd, which makes me long for the days when the fans actually, you know, got invested in the angles instead of keeping an ironic detachment. I'll be sure to take that up with them when I attend Clash of Half the Champions in a few weeks. So Rock and Shamrock then proceed to have a really enjoyable eight-minute match, and the crowd was totally hot throughout, popping for every near fall. About six minutes in, The Rock went for a clothesline, but Shamrock ducked, and Rock accidentally knocked referee Tim White to the canvas. From there, Shamrock rolled outside the ring and grabbed a steel chair, which put a smile on the face of Mr. McMahon. However, when Shamrock swung the chair at Rock, he ducked, and Shamrock hit the top rope by mistake, which caused the chair to bounce back into his own face. From there, Rock managed to body slam Shamrock, then hit him with the people's elbow, which, of course, got an absolutely massive pop from the fans. Rock went for the cover, 
but Tim White was still knocked out, so Rock attempted to revive him. Unfortunately for Rock, right after he revived the ref, Shamrock smacked Rock in the back with the chair, which Tim White saw, and he called for the bell. The Rock is your winner via disqualification, which means that he does not win the Intercontinental title, and so, according to Vince's pre-match stipulation, Rock has now lost his number one contendership for the WWF title, and he is out of the Survivor Series tournament as well. Vince then gets back on the mic and says that The Rock is not the people's champ, he's the people's chump. Jim Ross tells us that McMahon has screwed The Rock out of any opportunity to be the WWF champion, and it does indeed certainly seem that way, doesn't it? And after a quick commercial break, we go backstage where Rock is flipping out in the locker room and overturning tables. He asks the cameraman where Vince is, but he doesn't receive an answer. Honestly, though, you mean to tell me that Rock couldn't find Vince himself? He's in a noisy motorized wheelchair that barely goes five miles per hour. I think he'd be able to track him down if he tried. We then segue back into the arena for our next match, and it's a rematch from last night's episode of Sunday Night Heat, Val Venus versus Jeff Jarrett, who's accompanied by Deborah McMichael. I will note that for some reason, Val does not appear to be phased by Terry's pregnancy announcement since he comes out with a smile on his face and even does his usual pre-match sexual innuendo promo. Clearly, the big Valboski can't be kept down for too long, so to speak. Anyway, the match only goes for about two and a half minutes, with Val controlling the majority of it. Toward the end, Val went to the top rope, presumably to hit Jarrett with his money shot finisher, but the blue blazer crotched Val on the top turnbuckle in full view of referee Jimmy Corderas, resulting in a disqualification. Jarrett and the blazer then continued putting the boots to Val until Double J gave him a nod, and then the blazer ran backstage. I should also note that at this point, Jim Ross is openly saying that it's Owen Hart in the blue blazer costume, whereas the commentators have been playing coy about the blazer's identity over the past few weeks. So Jared and Deborah then raise their hands in the air, as though Double J won the match, which he quite obviously did not. On the plus side, though, there's another disqualification, which can be added to the total tally that Resident Raw Attitude Podcast statistician Philip Goad is keeping track of. You're doing the Lord's work, sir. We then cut backstage where we see a cop car arriving, and two police officers head into the building. And after a quick commercial break, we see the cops speaking with Vince McMahon, who informs them that The Rock has threatened his life, and he tells the officers to go handle the situation. I found this to be amusing because two weeks ago on Raw, the exact same scenario occurred where Stone Cold was threatening to kill Vince, but the Milwaukee cop who was with him basically quit on the spot and left Vince to fend for himself. This time, however, the Houston police officers seem willing to help out the chairman, so you be the judge as to which city you would rather live in. We then segue back into the arena for our next match, the Headbangers versus D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry in a rare heel versus heel tag team encounter. We're told that the winners of this match will face the New Age Outlaws for their WWF tag team titles at Survivor Series, so clearly the stakes are high here. Amusingly, the Headbangers come out dressed as the Outlaws, with Mosh calling himself Puppy Dog Jerky James and Thrasher posing as Dumbass Rockabilly, and together they are the New Age Idiots. For some reason, though, when Mosh imitates Road Dog's usual ladies and gentlemen intro, he does so with a really annoying high-pitched voice, and I have no idea why, because Jesse James's voice really isn't high-pitched at all, but overall, it was a pretty entertaining mockery of the tag team champs. So both teams then proceed to have a pretty mediocre heatless match because, once again, it's heel versus heel, so the fans don't really care for either side. 
One particular tidbit to note is that Thrasher appeared to legitimately injure his knee at one point in the match, but that didn't stop him from doing a flying crossbody over the top rope to the floor and right onto Mark Henry. However, as soon as he hit that spot, the lights went out yet again, and Kane emerged from backstage for the third time tonight. D'Lo and Mosh remained standing inside of the ring, and, spoiler alert, I found that to be amusing because those two will eventually team up together later on in the Attitude Era to the enjoyment of no one. But then, D'Lo shoves Mosh into Kane, resulting in a big boot for the headbanger. D'Lo then takes a little too long to taunt, which allows Kane to grab him by the throat, and he then grabs Mosh's throat as well, resulting in a really great-looking double choke slam for those two low-down bastards. Kane then lights the turnposts on fire and heads backstage, but, stop me if you've heard this before, it appears that we have a no-contest finish. So luckily for the New Age Outlaws, it seems as though there are no number one contenders for their tag team titles. Hopefully they remember to send Kane a Christmas card. We then cut backstage where The Rock is being arrested by four police officers, but he has no idea why. And shockingly, when he says, The Rock has four donuts for you big fat pieces of trash, they somehow do not immediately uncuff him. Probably not the best strategy. After a quick commercial break, we see Rock being put into a police car as Vince McMahon, the big boss man, and the Stooges look on and taunt him. And so, The Rock is heading to jail, where he will presumably fight his way out by teaming up with Jason Statham. We then go back to the arena, where Owen Hart is walking to the ring. For those scoring at home, this is the first time that we've seen Owen on Raw since he quit the company four weeks ago after he accidentally injured Dan Severn's neck with a tombstone pile driver. And I emphasize that this is the first time that we've seen Owen in the past month, but that mysterious blue blazer has made several appearances since then. So Owen grabs a mic and says that he has retired from the WWF, and he's been back home in Calgary, but he was willing to come to the arena tonight because Dan Severn asked him to do so. With that, he asks Severn to come to the ring, and sure enough, he does indeed proceed to emerge from backstage, walking rather slowly and wearing a neck brace. From there, Severn proceeds to deliver some pretty harsh words to Owen. Owen, I'm not here for an apology from you. What would it mean anyway? You know, you say that you're sorry for hurting me and that you've retired. But who are you kidding by running around in that ridiculous blue blazer outfit? Absolutely. Absolutely. I came here to look into the eyes of the man that stole my livelihood. Look at me, Owen. I came here to tell you in front of all these people that you are nothing but scum. Oh. Hey, come on. God almighty. is not healed. He's not been cleared to return to the WWF. Leave me alone. I'm retired. Stay out of my business. That's hideous. That's damn sure hideous. Severin is hurt. My God, get an ambulance. So what you heard there was Owen shoving Severn to the ground, and then when Severn got back up, Owen clotheslined him right around his injured neck. 
From there, Steve Blackman ran out from backstage to chase Owen away before any more damage could be done. And when we come back from commercial, sure enough, Severn is indeed being loaded into an ambulance backstage as Steve Blackman walks with him to provide moral support. However, once the ambulance pulls away, Blackman sees Owen standing nearby, so he decides to go after him. And what transpires after that is rather odd. I'm going to play the clip for you here, but just note that when Jim Ross twice says, Severn attacking Owen Hart, he obviously means that Blackman is attacking Owen since Severn just got taken away in an ambulance. So with that in mind, take a listen to what happens next. But Severn had no business coming out here in the condition he was in and then, and then uh, saying what he said. Wait a minute. Severn, Severn attacking Owen Hart. Severn attacking Owen Hart. Look at this. What the hell? That's a blue blazer. I told you. I told you that wasn't Owen Hart. Look at this. So as you heard there, Steve Blackman started beating up Owen, but then the Blue Blazer jumped Blackman from behind. Owen and the Blazer then proceeded to start beating up Blackman until referees were able to separate everyone. But it certainly seems as though Owen and the Blazer are indeed two different people. My theory? It's obviously Owen's brother Brett in the Blazer costume. I mean, come on, all the signs are there, sheeple. We then go back into the arena, where the blue bar steel cage is now being lowered down to the ring, and if you're like me, with all the craziness going on tonight, you completely forgot that there was a friggin' cage hanging over the goddamn ring. You know it's a chaotic episode of Raw when a steel cage becomes an afterthought. As a quick reminder, Vince McMahon previously said earlier tonight that someone was going to, quote, serve hard time in that cage, and speaking of Mr. McMahon, he then wheels himself to the top of the ramp, alongside the big boss man and the Stooges. Vince is holding a styrofoam cup full of coffee, and he says if it were up to him, he would put every fan in the audience inside of that cage tonight, but unfortunately, he can't do that. From there, the five of them make their way to ringside, where Vince is positioned next to the commentators. Vince then orders the big boss man and the Stooges to check the cage in order to ensure that no one can get in or out. He tells the boss man to make sure that the door works, so boss man closes it, locking himself and the Stooges inside. Vince then holds up his styrofoam cup and says that the only thing he wanted was a cup of coffee, which is a reference to two weeks ago on Raw when he asked Patterson, Briscoe, and Slaughter to go get him some coffee, but they never came back, which paved the way for Stone Cold to take Vince hostage. It then becomes apparent that the people who will be serving hard time tonight are the Stooges, so the big boss man then takes out his nightstick and starts beating the crap out of all three of them. He quickly incapacitates Briscoe and Slaughter, and Patterson then tries climbing up the side of the cage. We can hear Patterson yelling and pleading with Vince to make boss man stop, and Vince tells him that he'll make him stop once they all swear allegiance to him. However, Vince isn't done humiliating them just yet, because he then tells boss man to, quote, "...rip their clothes off of them now." Well, that certainly took a turn I was not expecting. Fortunately, before they can all be stripped balls naked, Stone Cold Steve Austin runs out from backstage. He then climbs up the cage, enters the ring, and starts beating the crap out of the big boss man. Jim Ross plays this up as though Stone Cold is not trying to help the Stooges, but rather he's going after the man who will be his opponent at the Survivor Series in two weeks. And on that note, with Austin taking it to the boss man, Pat Patterson grabs the nightstick 
and he hits Stone Cold in the leg with it. Presumably that was Patterson's way of showing his allegiance to Vince. Bossman then takes the stick and starts beating the shit out of Stone Cold with it, but then Shane McMahon comes to the ring. Shane opens the cage door and shoves Bossman away from Austin, which may prove to be a mistake. The Bossman then looks toward Vince as if to ask him if he should also bludgeon Shane, but Vince gives the gladiatorial thumbs up, signaling that he wants Bossman to leave Shane alone. That seems to be a bit of a strange decision that Vince would spare his son after all that harsh talk earlier, but perhaps he just couldn't bring himself to harm his own flesh and blood. So Shane exits the ring, and then, much like everyone else in the audience that night, I assume the show was over, but I should know better than that by now. Yes, The Undertaker and Paul Bearer then emerge from backstage, and, with Stone Cold left by himself in the cage, Taker apparently sees an opening for himself. He enters the cage, and, sure enough, he and Austin start slugging it out. With Stone Cold already weakened from all the nightstick shots he took, Taker quickly ends up getting the better of him and knocking Austin to the ground, but then... The lights go out once again, and Kane's music hits. The Big Red Machine walks to the cage entrance, and then slowly lifts his arms to do his usual pyro explosion, but, once the flames exploded, several portions of the steel cage actually caught fire. Pretty cool visual there. All three men then started brawling inside of the flaming cage, and that was how we went off the air. Ah, but wait, if you're watching this on the WWE Network, we actually get nine and a half minutes of bonus footage called Extra Attitude. And by the way, these extra attitude segments usually last about three minutes tops, so the fact that we get almost ten minutes of bonus footage here is pretty goddamn sweet. So Austin manages to hit Kane with a stone-cold stunner in pretty short order, and then The Undertaker then starts beating on his younger brother. That only lasts for a little while because it soon becomes pretty apparent that the stagehands are using fire extinguishers to put out the flaming cage, so Taker leaves the ring and heads backstage with Kane in pursuit. Meanwhile, Austin rolls outside the ring, where the big boss man and the wheelchair-bound Vince are located. Stone Cold manages to grab the nightstick from boss man, and he then proceeds to beat the living shit out of him with it. With boss man incapacitated, that leaves Vince alone by himself. Stone Cold tilts Vince backwards out of his wheelchair, and he then rolls the chairman inside of the cage. Vince manages to stand himself up with his good leg as Austin stares him down, and, of course, the crowd is going completely insane for Stone Cold at this point. Surprisingly, though, Austin extends a hand to Vince as though he was going for a handshake. I found this particularly amusing considering the fact that, spoiler alert, we do end up getting a similar scenario three years from now. So Vince then shakes Austin's hand, but, as you could probably guess, Stone Cold flipped him off, 
kicked him in the stomach, and hit him with a stunner. Amusingly, Austin then did his four corner poses at the top of each section of the cage, and I would recommend you check this out if you want to see Stone Cold awkwardly climb across each section of the cage to get to the other one. At one point, he basically does the Undertaker's rope walk routine while holding onto the bars of the cage to keep his balance. Eventually, the big boss man reaches into the cage to grab Vince's arms and try to pull him out, but Austin grabs Vince's legs, resulting in what was basically a McMahon tug-of-war. Austin got the better of the exchange, which enabled him to lift Vince up and, you guessed it, hit him with another stunner. Stone Cold finally headed backstage, leaving Vince alone in the ring. The boss man eventually came in and helped him up, and then... things got even more entertaining. Why? Because before Bossman could put Vince into his wheelchair, Stone Cold came back out from the locker room. However, instead of attacking Vince again, he went over and sat in Mr. McMahon's wheelchair. He had some difficulty at first, but eventually Austin was able to get the motorized wheelchair to move, and he then proceeded to wheel himself around the ring and up the ramp. And I would highly recommend that you watch this if you get a chance, because the sight of Stone Cold scooting around in a motorized wheelchair is pretty goddamn hilarious. And then, to cap it all off, with Vince and Bossman looking on from the ring, Austin pushed the wheelchair off the side of the ramp. Awesome stuff. So, how's that for an episode of Raw, huh? Pretty eventful. But we're not done just yet, so with that in mind, let's take it to the wrap-up. Yo, I slayed them seeds back in the rec room era. My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror. A freak beat slamming like Iron Sheik. We dedicated to cast that's been thugging. Then he passed out more hoes than Jim Duggan. I'm bananas, out of my fucking mind. It won't let me back in. Cause I was down before the hype like Dusty Rhodes and Bob Backlund. Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak. Now I'm rocking Stone Cold on my favorite maniac. The top rooster plucking. Chickens when they plucking. Cause WWF stands for women where we fucking. The Ratings Recap As discussed on the podcast last time, WCW fucked up royally one week prior by not telling several of the cable companies that Halloween Havoc would be going long. That resulted in about 25% of their pay-per-view buyers completely missing out on the excellent Goldberg DDP world title match. And so, as a gesture of goodwill, WCW aired that Goldberg DDP match on Nitro last week, which garnered the highest rating for a single wrestling match in television history. Propped up by that, Nitro easily defeated Raw in the ratings last week by the score of 5.06 to 4.48. However, if you listened to the last episode of the Raw Attitude podcast, you will remember that I made sure to point out that that would be the last time that Nitro ever won head-to-head against Raw. This week, Raw firmly seized control by putting up a 4.81 rating, to Nitro's 4.09. That's right, WCW dropped from a 5.06 last week to a 4.09 this week, almost a full ratings point. I think it's safe to say that the Halloween Havoc fiasco may have left a bad taste in the fans' mouths. But of course, for the sake of comparison, here's what you could have been watching over on Nitro. Alex Wright defeated Norman Smiley. Disco Inferno defeated Kaz Hayashi. Fit Finley defeated Scott Putzky. Ernest the Cat Miller defeated Scott Armstrong. Wrath defeated Kendall Windham. Scott Norton defeated Van Hammer to retain the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Why he was defending a Japanese title belt on Nitro, I do not know, but alright. Psychosis defeated Rey Mysterio. Dean Malenko defeated Raven by disqualification. 
Chris Jericho versus Kidman ended in a time limit draw, so Jericho got to keep his television championship. Booker T defeated Scott Hall by disqualification. And the Giant defeated Lex Luger by disqualification, which means we had three DQ finishes in the final four matches, so clearly WCW is taking notes from Vince Russo. In terms of current angles on this show, probably the most memorable one is Chris Jericho continuing his mockery of, as he calls him, Greenberg, but other than that, nothing too much to write home about. From the reviews I've read of this episode of Nitro, the general consensus is that it was a solid, if mostly forgettable, program, but the huge rating drop certainly had to be pretty deflating after last week's monster number. And so, let's take it to the Raw Synopsis. So the very first thing that jumped out at me when watching this episode of Raw is the fact that Vince McMahon gets a staggering amount of airtime this week. Counting promos in the arena and backstage segments, we saw Vince on 10 separate occasions tonight. I'm not sure if that's a record for a single two-hour episode of Raw, but I feel like it has to be. With that being said, most of the segments he was in were quite entertaining, including his backstage bullying of seemingly everyone in sight except for his new son, Mankind. I'm sure the constant McMahonization of Raw will get tiring as the months roll on, but as for now, I'm willing to give it a pass because it ties in well to the angle of Vince exerting his power while Shane is trying to take it from him. Aside from that, we actually had a couple solid matches this week, particularly Rock vs. Shamrock and DX vs. The Brood, plus the usual chaotic anything-goes antics, which have become par for the course on these live episodes of Raw lately. In my opinion, this episode gets a big thumbs up from me. Definitely give it a watch if you get a chance, because it will be the only ever episode of Raw where Steven Regal wears a construction helmet. One more quick note. This episode aired on November 2nd, 1998, which is noteworthy because the very next day was Election Day in the United States, where voters were deciding on a large number of candidates across the country. Why do I mention this? Well, over in Minnesota, they were having their gubernatorial election to determine who would become the governor of that fine state. And that ties into this podcast because one of the candidates who was running for governor was none other than former WWF wrestler slash commentator Jesse the Body Ventura. But of course, Jesse is running as a member of the Reform Party, so clearly he has no shot at winning because we only ever really elect Democrats and Republicans in the United States, but maybe he'll make a good showing for himself. I guess we'll find out how that goes on the next episode of the podcast. So on that note... I think we can wrap this episode up. As always, thank you for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex, and I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Send us an email at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at rawattitudepod. Or more importantly, write us a five-star review on iTunes because that helps us find an even wider audience. And of course, if you do that, I will be sure to read the review on this very podcast and give you full credit for doing so. I have nothing further to add about this episode, so I will now leave you with a clip of... Ah, fuck it. How about I leave you with a clip of Steven Regal's theme song one more time? I think it's worth it because it's amazing, and we're never going to hear it on this podcast again, so I think it demands a second listening. So enjoy that, and I will catch you next time. He's a man.